And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I mentioned last week we're going to backpedal just a little bit. We're going to take a step back to uh, verses 28 through 30. Uh, If you would, just stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'll explain why we're going backwards, but uh, anyway, beginning in verse uh, 28. Oh, here we go. Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just offer this time to You. ask that You would speak to our hearts. We need Your Holy Spirit to uh, just really uh, help us embrace uh, what we're looking at this morning. I think it's it's fairly clear from Scripture. And so I, get, I get ask that You would just help us to uh, lead lives uh, accordingly uh, based on the knowledge that is in just these particular verses and where they all point to. So God, we offer this time to You and just ask that You would bless it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever heard the, the, the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? That's, that's usually referring to seeing small individual... It's just not going to stop. Uh, small individual details uh, about any particular situation or circumstance, but not being able to see the big picture of what those small individual details all point to. Now, having examined the five great great details of verses 29 and 30, let's call those the trees. We looked at each one individually. I want to take a step back and look into the great doctrine of which they are only individual parts. So we want to take a look at the forest, what they all five point to. It's not hard to recognize what this doctrine is. Uh, In various ways, we've been mentioning it it ever since uh, this chapter began. That's the perseverance of the saints, or you may have heard it called eternal security. Uh, A rather loose way of, of saying it is once saved, always saved. All right. Now, it's true that those who have been truly brought to faith in Jesus Christ, having been foreknown and predestined to faith by God from eternity past, having been called, regenerated, and justified us in this life, and having been so set on the road to ultimate glorification that these persons will never and can never be lost." Perseverance is implied in each of the terms that we have studied, uh, but this is a place to go back and look at that entire forest. But we don't want to destroy, um, d- destroy distort the doctrine uh, with over, oversimplica- oversimplification as some will try to do. We want to understand it as it is taught in Scripture. As Paul teaches it here in Romans chapter 8. So we need to begin our overview by excluding some common misunderstandings about perseverance. Well, first, perseverance does not mean that Christians are exempt from all spiritual danger just because they are now Christians. Uh, On the contrary, the opposite is true. 
They are in even greater danger because now that they are Christians, the world and the devil will be doggedly set against them and will even try to destroy them. We don't need to go very far in Romans to see this fact. In the very next section of this chapter, Paul lists for us some of the hostile forces that believers face. Now he's going to speak of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. And he concludes by saying, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, it's because we really do face many spiritual dangers that the doctrine of perseverance is so important. Well, second, the doctrine of perseverance does not mean that Christians are always kept from falling into sin just because they're Christians. Sadly, Christians still sin. Noah fell into drunkenness. You remember that? Abraham lied about his wife Sarah saying, oh, she's just my sister rather than his wife, and he's trying to protect his own life. David whew, committed adultery with Bathsheba and then uh, was uh, the impetus behind the murder of her husband, Uriah. Peter, remember Peter? He denied the Lord. Perseverance doesn't mean that Christians will not, not fall. It simply means they will not fall away. Now, Jesus actually predicted Peter's denial, if you remember. But after he made the prediction, he said, I have prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Why did Peter's faith not fail? Because Christ prayed for him. We just got to look a couple of verses ahead. We're going to see that Christ is praying for us as well. And the purpose of that is so that we will not fall away. Well, third, perseverance does not mean that those who profess Christ without actually being born again does not mean that they are secure. And this truth explains the many warnings that appear in Scripture to the effect that we should give diligent attention to make our calling and our election sure. That's from 2 Peter 1.10. Now in this area, Jesus, He makes some statements that are among the most direct. For example, He said, All men will hate you because of Me, but he who stands firm to the end... Will, uh, yeah, to the end, will be saved. That's Matthew 10, 22. We are able to stand, stand firm only because God perseveres with us. I actually like calling it the preservation of the saints because He's the one doing the preserving. But it's also true that we must stand firm. In fact, the final perseverance of believers, that is the only ultimate proof that they have been chosen by God and are truly have truly been born again. The, the Christian doctrine of perseverance does not lead to a false assurance or presumption on our part. Perseverance doesn't make us lazy. Perseverance doesn't make us proud. No, the real doctrine of perseverance is precisely what Paul, as Paul describes it in Romans 8, that those whom God has foreknown and predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son will indeed come to that great consummation. They will be harassed and frequently tempted, and often they will fall. Nevertheless, in the end, they will be with Jesus and will be like Him. Because this is the destiny that God in His sovereign and just inexplicable love has predetermined for them. 
However, it's not beneficial to present this doctrine, even in the context of the exposition of Romans 8, without dealing with some of the biblical passages that seem to contradict it. And you know what I'm talking about? I'm sure some of you do. These passages trouble many Christians, and they're often in their minds, in the back of their minds, when they hear talk of security of the believer. Perhaps some of these will trouble you. I'm going to read a few. Okay, just measure your guttural feeling, your gut feeling as, as I read them. Uh, first one, uh, Hebrews 4, excuse me, 6, 4 through 6. It reads, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Well, doesn't that imply that those who are saved can be lost? Or what about 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2? But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift dest destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways." Well, doesn't, say that, say, doesn't that say that people who have been redeemed by Christ can later deny Him and fall away from the faith and perish? Or what about Paul's words? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Well, are believers subject to disqualification? Well, what about the four kinds of soils in the parable in Matthew 13? Some of the seed springs up quickly, but later it's scorched by the sun or else it's choked by the weeds uh, and it perishes. What about the five foolish virgins of Matthew 25? They're waiting for the bridegroom, bridegroom's coming, but because they went away to get oil and were not actually there when He came, they were excluded from the wedding banquet. Now, you can probably add your own problem text to these suggestions. It's important to wrestle with these passages and, and merely dismiss them with some glib statement of once saved, always saved, because then we would be presuming. We would miss the very important warnings that these texts contain for us. However, a careful examination of these passages will show that although uh, they can be said to put a proper hedge around perseverance, lest we presume upon it or take it lightly. They do not contradict the doctrine. Now, how do we approach these difficulties? Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, pastor over in London, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, he has, I don't know, about a five or six hundred page commentary on the book of Romans. He spends over a hundred pages in his commentary on Romans 8 just on this issue. Should we do that today? Yeah, Wanda's over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's like a little puppy. Yeah, 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 let's go, let's go. No, we're not going to do that. I can't, I can't take that. His work, work is really helpful because it puts uh, problem text into three kind of manageable categories. Uh, in a much briefer manner, I, I want to follow his procedure. So category number one, passages that seem to suggest that we can fall away from grace. 
Now this category it contains the most, most difficult and the most frequently cited passages. So it's the one that we need to explore at the greatest length. The first passage is the one in which the phrase fallen away from grace actually occurs. That's in Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. Now an, examine of the, an examination of the context shows that what Paul is addressing uh, is the problem of false teaching that has been in, do, uh, introduced into the Galatian churches by a party of legalistic Jews. They were insisting that circumcision and other Jewish practices had to be followed if the believers in Galatia were to be truly saved. Now here the contrast is grace and law. So it's grace versus law. And the apostle says that if the believers should allow themselves to be seduced by this false teaching, then they will have been led away from grace. They have fallen from grace... What have they fallen into? Legalism. This is not the same thing as saying that they will have lost their salvation, though the doctrine of the legalist was indeed a false doctrine by which nobody could be saved. Paul's argument in Galatian uh, is that Christians should stand firm in the liberty that Christ has given them and not become burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That yoke was the, the Jewish law. Okay? The parable of the four kinds of soil also falls into this category of problem text. Does it teach that it is possible for a person to be genuinely born again and, and then fall away and be lost either because of the world's scorching persecutions, which Jesus mentions, or its materialistic entanglements? He mentions that as well. Now the image that we have of the young plants, it suggests that. Rather clearly, the plants in the story obviously do have life. So that's just another thing that you got to consider. But what we're going to do is to look at Jesus' own explanation of the story. What we see is that He makes a distinction between a person who merely hears and a person who hears the words and understands them. The one who merely hears he may receive with joy the word that he doesn't actually understand and thus seem to be saved. But Jesus says he has no root in him, uh, which, he, which proves he proves by lasting only a very short time. Those who understand and have, have the root of genuine life in them show it by their endurance, they show it by their fruit. Jesus is is that not all preaching of the Word is going to be blessed by God to the saving of those who hear it. Only some will be converted. Another uh, passage that falls in this category of problems text is the story of the five, five wise and the five foolish virgins. Now this is a disturbing... I just died, didn't I? I came back. I, I'm, I'm back. This is a disturbing parable because it teaches that there will be people within the visible church who have been invited to the marriage supper. They've professed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they're actually seen to be waiting for His promised return. Yet, in the end, they are lost. It's meant to be disturbing. But if we compare it with the other parables in the same chapter, the parable of the talents and the parable of the sheep and the goats, it's clear that Jesus is saying that in the church, many who are not genuinely born again 
will pass for believers until the end. <laughs> it's only at the final judgment when the Lord returns that those who are truly saved and those who only profess to be saved, that's when they're going to be differentiated. That's when we'll know who true believers are. Now, the most difficult of the passages that seem to suggest that believers can fall away from grace is 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It refers to people denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. This sounds as if Peter is describing people who, having been redeemed by Jesus and having believed in Him, later deny Him and now fall away. Now, we are warned against this misunderstanding by the way the chapter continues. Then we see that Peter is actually speaking of people who have learned about Jesus Christ. They've even escaped a considerable amount of external pollution of the world by having been taught the high standards of Christianity. But they have now repudiated this teaching in order to return to the world's corrupt corruption, which they actually love. Peter rather crudely compares them to a dog that returns to its vomit or a sow that is washed but nevertheless goes back to her wallowing in the mud. The reason they do this is because their inner nature is unchanged. They may have been cleaned up externally, but inside they're just like the, the Pharisees. They're full of dead men's bones. They're full of corruption. These are the people who deny the Lord who bought them. Now, how can Peter say that Jesus bought them? Okay, this is always a, always a significant hang-up. Uh, the answer seems to be that Peter is also thinking of an external purchase or deliverance here. Since he begins by speaking of those who were false prophets among the nation of Israel, what he seems to be saying is that just as there were beneficiaries... Uh, of the deliverance of the nation from Egypt, uh, they were nonetheless not true followers of God. In other words, not everybody that got delivered in the Exodus was actually a follower of God. So there will be people like this within the churches. They will seem to have been purchased by Christ. They'll show outward signs of salvation, but they will still be false prophets and false professors of Christ. Now, none of these passages teach that salvation can be lost. They're either referring to something else like falling from grace into legalism, or they're teaching that those who merely make an external profession of faith, however holy they may seem, they will fall away. John addresses this in his first epistle, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belong to us. Well, category two, this is passages that seem to suggest in some way or another that our salvation is uncertain. Uh, there are a large number of these verses, uh, but they're, they're an awful lot alike, so we don't need uh, to talk about each one separately. For example, example, there's Philippians 1 or 2.12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you go, well, wait a minute, I thought I was already saved. But he tells us to work out our salvation. 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. 
There's also Hebrews 4, or 6, 4 through 6, which I read a while ago. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Now this last passage, I mentioned it a while ago, is particularly troubling to many. So let me begin with it. The answer is found in the entire thrust of Hebrews. The author is writing to Jews who had been exposed to Christianity and even had seemed to accept it somewhat. He's encouraging them to go on to full faith and not to draw back again into Judaism. Everything in the book points in this direction. So this problem passage is actually talking about people who might have had a taste of Christianity, but who fall away without ever actually becoming true Christians. If this has happened, they cannot come back because in a certain sense, they have been inoculated against Christianity. I think Paul, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews is talking about apostasy. All right, and that there is no repentance for the apostate. This is somebody who knows who Jesus is and has turned their back on them, back on Jesus, and repudiated him and is now his enemy. I think that's exactly who. And Paul, or <laughs> the author, I got Paul on the brain this morning. The author of Hebrews goes on in the next three or four verses to, to show us that he's not talking about believers. Now, uh, and the real. The real uh, case emerges there in verse 9. This is where he says, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, the people he's writing to, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. In other words, the author considered his readers to be genuine believers, and in his opinion, they would not draw back. They, they would go on to embrace the fullness of the doctrines of the faith as he is urging them to do. Now, in the other verses, like Philippians 2, 12, and 2 Peter 1, 10, they're not nearly so difficult. They're merely, they merely remind us of what I said earlier, that the fact of God's perseverance with us, that does not suggest that somehow we don't have to persevere too. No, we do. In fact, it's because God is persevering with us that we will persevere. Remember that Philippians 2, 12, it tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, the next verse says, For, because it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good purpose. That is, God gives us the desire and then enables us to achieve what He desires. Well, category number three is just general warning passages. Um, they're just warnings, like Romans eleven twenty through twenty one. We haven't gotten there yet, but we'll get there, Lord willing, someday. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, here he's talking about the Jews. They were cut off so the Gentiles could be grafted in. He says, if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Or Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. It, urge, it urges us to pay more careful attention to what we have heard, and it ends with, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Or 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I read that earlier. This is where Paul issues kind of a warning to himself. 
And he says, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, the reason for these passages is that we need warnings from God in order to persevere. To state it differently, these passages are one of the ways that God uses to ensure our perseverance. Now, the proof of this is in the different ways that unbelievers and believers react to these warning passages. Do the, do the, the, the problem verses that I've cited as warnings, do they trouble unbelievers? Generally, not at all. Either they regard them as mere foolishness and, and something hardly to be noticed, or they take them in a straightforward manner and they simply assume that their lives are all right and that the verses, therefore, do not apply to them. They don't concern them. It's only believers who are troubled because only believers are concerned about their relationship with God and don't want to presume that all is well with their soul when it may not be. These passages provoke us to higher levels of commitment, to greater godliness, to holiness, which is what they're given for. And even this should encourage us. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says here. He says, To be concerned and troubled about the state of our soul when we read passages such as these is in and of itself evidence that we are sensitive to God's Word and to His Spirit, that we have spiritual life in us. End quote. Now, I've taken a good deal of time to discuss these problem passages because I know that they're in the back of the minds of Christian people whenever the doctrine of perseverance is, is discussed. They're like, yeah, but what about this? What about this? And rightly so. We need to consider them carefully. There is a danger in exam examining them so closely. Uh, it may give the impression that the related texts, uh, a lot of them we've looked at, that they're all on the problem side. And that there are very few passages that teach eternal security. Well, that's simply not true. Now, this morning, I'm not, you know, we're about over. I can't give you everything I'd like to on these positive side of the, of the perseverance of the saints. Uh, but there are many such texts. There's a couple that come straight out of the mouth of Jesus. He says, My sheep listen to my voice, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, that's John 10, 27 and 28. This is from John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. There's also those confident words of Paul in Philippians 1.6. He says that He who began a good work in you, the church at Philippi, the believers, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And of course, uh, our verses this morning. If you just go online and type in verses for perseverance of the saint, you're going, saints, you're going to get a whole bunch of different people who are going to put up lists. Right at the top of all of those, not necessarily at the top, but near the top, and some of them will be the first, is our verses today. We see what God has done which man, it doesn't look like, can thwart.
He foreknew us, He predestined us, He called us, He justified us, and He glorified us. Call it the golden chain. It's unbreakable. That's a huge text for perseverance of the saints. But you know what? So is the next verses through the rest of the chapter. Let me read it to you. We looked at this last week. What shall we then say to these things? These five great pillars that make this forest. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Now, any other, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That whole section screams perseverance. What God has started, He will bring to completion. Now, on the back of your sermon notes, I apologize. There's a lot of Scripture on there, but there's about four more that I added at the end. Just, just throw them in. You can look them up. Well, actually, I think I've got them written there. You can read them. Why will we, or will we persevere? Yes, Scripture assures us we will. Why? We will persevere because this is God's plan for us. And what's the end of it all? His glory. That's why we can be assured that it's going to happen. Let's pray. Father, thank You again just for Your abundant mercy and grace that brings us to Yourself through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank You for what we've looked at this morning that, yeah, there's some verses that uh, are a little bit different than we might think this doctrine. And if we don't study those to understand them, then, then yes, it can cause some confusion. But in the end, Father, You finish what You're started. No man can thwart what You do. So God, I pray that You would help us to understand that, to trust it, to believe it. Father, to live in light of that fact that yes, one day, just as Roscoe has just passed from this life into Your glorious presence, we will do the same, Father. And You help us in that regard. We are so grateful. Thank You. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, maybe unlike Roscoe, uh, and in and, and, and your mortality, uh, you are afraid. Uh, you understand that you don't know God. There's coming a time when you, when you will stand before God one day. That's, that's the, the, the wheat and the tares in the church. One day we're going to stand before God. And, and, and the wheat's going to put on one side and the tares on the other. Those who, that's the ones that do not belong to God. If you know that you're in that category, that's not a good place to be. At all. <laughs> That's a scary place to be. 
And death is the deciding factor in this life in terms of your destiny. Once you die, there's, there's no second chances. Don't think, oh, well, I've got tomorrow or, you know, I'm young. Too many people suffer, especially young folks, with what we call the Superman syndrome. You think you've got another 60, 70 years and you're impenetrable and you're tough and you're going to be fine. We see examples all too often that that is not true. You better not be banking on a future where you say, okay, well, I see what you're saying, but I just don't want to mess with it right now. I want to wait a while. Don't wait. Paul says today is the day of salvation. You need to come to God. You need to ask Him to forgive you of your sins. You need to trust what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago on the cross. He did that for you. He died for your sins. He bore the wrath of God. The, he bore the guilt of the sin and the wrath of God against that sin on your behalf. We'll call it a substitutionary uh, death. Well, in doing that, Jesus says, just believe in Me and you will have eternal life. If you don't know God through His Son Jesus, today's the day. If you don't understand all that and you have questions, come talk to me. Don't, 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 don't leave here running away from it, scared of it. No, run to it. It's probably the Holy Spirit just, just talking to you, knocking on your door saying, hey, you need to listen up. So do that. If you're a believer, I hope, uh, you know, as you read through the Bible, you may come across verses like these and go, wow, and it makes me examine my life. Good! That's what it's there for. That's exactly what it is there for, to make you examine your life, to make your, to help you make your call and your election sure. Right? In the end, does our salvation depend on us? No. It didn't from the start and it doesn't in the end. <laughs> what God has started, He will finish. Uh, take joy in that. It is our job to persevere. So yes, it, it takes something on our part. But it's in conjunction with God. Matter of fact, let me just read one verse. I just thought of this. This is another good perseverance. It's over in Hebrews chapter 13. I just want to have it memorized. It's happened to know where it's at. It's worth memorizing. I really ought to. Um, now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that's the resurrection, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. May He equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in, it, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see it? Paul says, God is... Author of Hebrews, when I'm stuck on that this morning, author of Hebrews, who may be Paul, I don't know. He says, uh, just as plain as day there, that God equips us with everything good that we may do His will. So what He puts in, what do we do? We work it out. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Well, anyway, I hope that you will just start living in light of that fact that yes, you're God's. If you, if you know Him, uh, and you're a believer, remember we talked back in chapter 5 that you're either in Christ or in Adam. And that's a great way to define it. If you're in Christ, you're always going to be in Christ. Don't ever doubt it. Scripture is clear. If you're in Adam, yeah, you need Christ. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website 
CrawfordvilleFBC.com.